What up, world? Pass first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is another edition of Mailbag Monday, answering listener submitted questions all episode long. We do this every week, off season, post season, whatever season. Mailbag Monday keeps rolling. So if you want to get involved, there's two ways to do it. You can tweet at me at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. Just send me a tweet whenever you're thinking of it or look for the tweet I send out Monday mornings around 9 a.m. Pacific time soliciting your questions. You respond to that tweet. I'll get you in the show. Or you can email me if you're not a Twitter user or just someone who doesn't tweet. You can email the show LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com is the email LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. Without further ado, let's get into it. This first one comes from Riley from Gmail who asks, Hey Mike, not sure if you've seen any of the trade proposals for the Blazers. Latest one I've read is Simons and both Blazers picks to the Pistons for the number 7 pick in the draft. While this mock had Isaac Okoro selected at 7, lots of mocks drafts have him going ahead of 7, pick 5 and the most recent one I've seen. Could you see a trade up in this year's draft being the move Olshay takes? Could Obi Toppin be a guy worth moving up for? Or Okoro, if he's still available? I feel like there's a lump of decent potential small forwards available from picks 7 to 16. I'd love to hear a comparison of the top six or so small forwards in this year's draft in an attempt to show the value of moving up in the draft. Yeah, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. There are some wings available. First of all, I think this draft is, at least from the people who who tend to know stuff, not not great. And I think that means that there's just not like a consensus um consensus top pick you know I don't think there's even a consensus top three I think there's probably five guys ish who could all be in the in the one through three range and that makes it a little bit harder shout out to Anthony Bennett that's how you that's how you end up with the Anthony Bennett is a draft with no clear-cut number one a reminder that the back-to-back MVP went 15th in the Anthony Bennett draft but in any case, there are a bunch of good wings. Um, there are teams looking to trade out. I don't know if the Blazers have the assets to trade up super high, like to number one with the T-Wolves or number three with Golden State. I'd be stunned if the Blazers did that. Um, trading up in general has been something that Olje has done when he's had draft assets, like to get Zach Collins when he traded multiple first-round picks. Not sure he... I, I can't imagine him trading Anthony Simons. I saw that uh, trade on Bleacher Report. It's just, it doesn't align with what we know about Neil Shea, but whatever, that's not what um, matters to those putting together trade plans on Bleach Report. They're, they're allowed to do their own thing. In any case, let's just look at the top, top wings in this draft. First, Denny Avija, MVP of the Israeli League, versatile playmaker with a questionable jumper. He's big, he can dribble and handle like a guard, he can playmake, he looks like a really versatile valuable wing at the next level. I think he could go as high as I've seen as number two with the Warriors, uh, but he could also drop out of the top five. He's But he's um, a, a big wing who can really handle. Isaac Okoro, who you mentioned from Auburn, he's a 3D wing who can't really shoot yet, but a really, supposedly a really good defender um, could play right away because of his athleticism and his defense that could grow into something more. Tyrese Halliburton is more of a guard, but a big guard at 6'5". He's shifty. I've seen him as high as 3 in the drafts, but I've seen him as low as 9 in the drafts. So he's an interesting one to watch. 6'5 and can handle. Um, dudes like that can usually play in the league. Also, Mark Stein had a nice little story about him in the New York Times, if you want to read a little more about Tyrese Halliburton. Obi Toppin, who you mentioned from Dayton, you know, 6'9", well-decorated, super athlete. By well-decorated, I mean he won a bunch of awards in college. 
But Toppin is, you know, a really, a really good athlete. Maybe someone who can't guard anyone at the NBA level. It happens, but he can shoot. He can run the floor. I've seen some comps calling him Omari Stoudemire, and I've seen some other scouts say that he's maybe not a full NBA talent when he gets to playing against higher level competition. So yeah, somewhere between Amari Stoudemire and not an NBA player, Obi Toppin. Devin Vassell from Florida State, super long 3 and D wing who developed a ton from freshman year to sophomore year, but he also had two really quiet games against UNC. So the two times I watched him, I was had no idea that he was going to be an NBA level talent. Very surprised to learn that he's uh, like going to be one of the top 12 picks in the NBA draft. Who knew? Patrick Williams, another 3 and D long wing from FSU. He only played one season at Florida State, but he his one game against Carolina, boy, was he good. Monster game. I think he had 15 and 9 against Carolina. And I so I for sure thought that dude was a pro, and look at him now. I think those are your top six wings. I think if you drop down any further, you're getting into the range of guys that I've profiled in my draft profiles that are available right now in your feed, like Sadiq Bey and Aaron Neesmith. And more coming later this week. Listen, there's value moving up, but it, it really depends on how much you would get give away. Which get, brings us to our next question. Jason from Gmail asks, hypothetical for you, would you rather eat nothing but Bill Bars for the next four years or suffer through another term of Attorney General Bill Barr? Look, Bill Barr hates democracy and Bill Bars taste good. I'm going Bill Bars. But your actual question from Jason from Gmail says, and a Blazer question, what would you be willing to package with the 16th pick to move up a few spots and land Sadiq Bay? So let's just ignore the Sadiq Bay part and just like what would what what is reasonable for the Blazers to package and move up? This is a somewhat hard exercise for me because I'm not super, super versed in the NBA draft. I learn a lot about these guys. I read a lot about them, but I can't. I can't sit here with confidence and say all these dudes are, are better. I can tell you what scouts say, but I can't I can't with confidence say that they're better. So I probably wouldn't tr- I probably wouldn't give up on Zach Collins or Anthony Simons yet. I probably wouldn't give up on Nazir Little yet. I'm not sure, you know, obviously Damon CJ not tradable in this exercise. Same with Yusuf Nurkic. Don't I don't think teams want Trevor Ariza's $12 million contract in the in draft world. So maybe if you're taking back a contract and moving up in the draft, maybe you maybe the Blazers swing something like that. So I'm not sure the Blazers have a lot of parts to trade up. Like it's it doesn't seem super easy. Uh, maybe you give them a second round pick. The Blazers don't have a lot of future second round picks, so it'd have to be kind of this one. So we're kind of getting to that point where the players that I think the Blazers would realistically trade to move up in a draft are. Rodney Hood coming off an Achilles injury and Mario Hazonia. I'm not sure how many spots those guys jump you up. Hood might. Hood, Hood's, Hood's like if healthy is an NBA contributor. Hazonia is someone who might not be in the league if he opts out of his contract. So hard for me to, I just, I'm having trouble seeing the package the Blazers would have. I'm not someone who puts together these deals. I haven't studied the rest of the league to figure out what other teams want and certainly other teams' motivations, be they financial or whatever they are, can change sort of how packages work. But for me, I wouldn't cut bait on the Blazers' young guys just yet in order to chase other young guys. I'd kind of say, we have these people in the pipeline, so let's continue to have them in the pipeline and see what we get. I don't think it's going to be easy to move up in the draft. Uh, it's certainly an option, but I don't I don't see it super likely. Just like judging based on the Blazers' assets, so I wouldn't I wouldn't give up much. To answer your question, 
But now let's turn the table. So this next question comes from Logan Gillis at Logan Gillis on Twitter, who says, is there any market for the Blazers to move the 16th pick to help an add a veteran to the team. I realize this hasn't been Olshay's MO, but do we really need another 20-year-old project on the roster? Yeah, see, for me, this is the thing. I, I feel I'm with you, Logan. I think we, we're simpatico on this, and I feel like we haven't been simpatico on your recent questions, so I'm glad we're aligned. I think the Blazers are better off trading for an NBA player than they are drafting a project. Obviously, Neil Olshay wants to have this sort of holistic and um, responsible team building where you not only are pretty good now, but you have that you have the parts to be pretty good into the future. But F that they need to be good. Now they need to be good. The next three years, a 20 year old out of, I like Sadiq Bay. I think he's going to be a pretty good NBA player, but is he going to be enough of a good NBA player over the next three NBA seasons to help the Blazers win a championship or compete for one? I don't know. And I don't think so. I'd rather trade for, uh, an NBA vet. Here's the thing. The Blazers don't have a lot of sexy trade like partners. They don't have sort of like a mid-range deal in that sort of eight or $9 million range that could package with the 16th pick to bring back uh, a veteran. So, you know, maybe some combination of giving up on Rodney Hood, even though the Blazers sort of have a big minute role car- carved out for him, or maybe this is where you can find if you take on a, a bad contract. I don't know if the Blazers management or Blazers ownership is willing to take on bad money, but if they are, you, t- you trade a reason and take on a bad contract and get get a wing for that 16th pick, get a roster that, you know, a guy who can help, but maybe isn't, uh, but maybe is overpaid for how much he helps. To be clear, I don't know the market. Like I just, I don't know what's out there. I haven't, we haven't heard rumblings of uh, sort of guys on the trade block that aren't named Andrew Wiggins. Blazers can't trade for him, and he's not very good. So, I don't, I don't really have a good gauge of sort of what the market is out there. But Logan, I think this is the move. I am much more inclined to trade 16 to get an get an NBA player, get a guy who you know can help in the NBA versus rolling a dice and getting better for the future. I'm not sure Neil Olshay agrees with that strategy, but it's it's the one that I would promote. Okay, let's come back in the second segment, answer more of your questions on this glorious Mailbag Monday. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about rockauto.com. You know rockauto.com. They're the family business that's been serving auto park customers online for 20 years. You can go to rockauto.com right now, shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They got everything you need. Brake parts, tail lamps, engine control modules, motor oil, new carpet, spark plugs, air filters, radiator, you name it, they got it. And you can get it. It's just a few easy clicks and it'll be delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle, choose the brands, the specifications, and the prices you prefer. And best of all, it's the prices because at rockauto.com, they're always reliably low and they're the same for professionals as they are for the do-it-yourselfers. So why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now, see all the parts available for your car or truck. And while you're there, make sure you write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com All right. 
Let's keep it rolling on Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Ben from Gmail who says, can you evaluate the potential fit of Dario Saric, who's a free agent who made $3.5 million last year, and or making a move for Nemanja Belica, who's in the last year of his contract with the Kings, set to make $7.15 million. He's a career 40% three-point shooter on 4.4 attempts per game, isn't super mobile, but is a plus defender and can really shoot. Don't know what the Kings want would want in return. Yeah, I like Belitza. I think he's I think he's good. I think he could help. Um, I'm not sure he's like a long term starter on a really good team, but man, would he be a good rotation piece for the Blazers to bring a guy like that off the bench who can defend and score. Um, he's got a little bit of individual offense, but he's a good just sort of complementary piece. Like you said, he's not a he's not like a high level defender, but he's not a total dud on that end. He's totally fine. He's like a he's respectable and guards his position doesn't get bowled over I like him um I'm not sure the Blazers have the right parts to make that trade without giving away a young guy that they probably don't want to give away but if they could um I'm all for it I I like I like belly dude I like I think he I think he's a baller as far as Sharch is concerned He's an interesting question, right? He'll be a free agent this year. The Suns can bring him back. Um, he was useful for him. I think he, uh, people thought, you know, what are the Suns doing getting Sharts last year when they traded for him? And he turned out to be just like a really useful part on a team that was, you know, ninth in the West, but a good, a, a better than expected, a, a competitive team that nearly made the playoffs. And uh, so it would be curious what the Suns value him at. Uh, ESPN did a, ranking of all available free agents and what they'd be worth. And they put Sharich or what they might command, not worth, but command on the market. Um, and Sharich was in the four to $6 million range. That would mean part of the mid-level exception for the Blazers. I, d- I don't think that's crazy. Um, he's not my number one choice out there, but as far as a guy who can, he's, he's like a, a versatile four who can shoot and handle and, and um, have floppy hair. I like him. Um, depending on the price tag, six million probably too much. If it's that lower end, like the four million, and you can kind of split the mid level up to a couple different guys, a couple, um, then I'm I'm more for it. Maybe if you have to split it up between Sharich and Carmelo Anthony, I don't think you've created a championship roster, but it's not the worst thing that's ever happened. So yeah, I'm into both of those. Those are both legitimate targets. Next question comes from Sko Zers from Gmail, who says, what about Noah Vonley as a cheap minimum contract signing? Showed a lot of growth in New York. Didn't see much after that, but he seemed to be a great pickup with some upside. Yeah, I don't know. Noah Vonley seems like one of those guys who's forever going to have upside. He had a nice three quarters of a season in New York, really tailed off at the end of that season. And then this year in Minnesota and Denver just couldn't, couldn't find playing time uh Denver had a lot of players who are better than him in front of him but for me I would rather have someone who's a little more um dependably productive than Noah Vonley like I'd rather just sign a center I'd rather just sign John Henson and just say I know this dude isn't going to get much better but he's pretty okay right now I'd rather I'd rather do that than sign hope I want the like my plan for the Blazers is not to be good in 2024 I don't that that ain't me. I want I would like to see the Blazers swing for it and try to be good this year. So yeah, no Vonley, not not my Huckleberry. Next question comes from Jesse Smith, who asks, Last week's mailbag featured questions about Jeremy Lin as a backup PG. You mentioned you wanted more of a pass first point guard. It's the brand, baby, versus a scorer as your ideal candidate. I once again offer you a Syracuse solution, Jesse Smith. Q's fan, always hitting us with some some orangeman advice. 
Jesse offers. You mentioned previously in a comment I made that Michael Carter-Williams is not very good. He's not very good. Allow me to argue otherwise. His first four years in the league are only four he averaged around 30-plus minutes, giving a good indication of what he can do as a starter. He's not going to start with the Blazers. doesn't matter. He averaged 14.3 points on 41.65% shooting. That's terrible. 5.4 boards and 6.1 assists in those first four seasons. He won Rookie of the Year despite being in a draft class with Oladipo, who couldn't score. Uh... Antetokounmpo, who was the youngest player in the draft and wasn't good. Rudy Gobert, who was in the G League most of his rookie year. Steven Adams, who never puts up stats. And CJ McCollum, who was the fifth guard on his roster. And had solid numbers, despite being a terrible shooter and not even being in a good situation. Listen, Michael Carter-Williams was in the perfect situation. He played for a Philly team that played him a kajillion minutes and didn't want to win. He won rookie of the year because they he got to put up stats on a bad team. In any case, Jesse continues. He's 6'5 with long arms, and he's good at getting into passing lanes and deflecting balls. Due to his size for his position, he's also a really good rebounder. He's in a good situation in Orlando, and they're consistently like a 7 or 8 seed. Where he lacks in shooting, he makes up for it by not taking bad shots, passing with his defense, and has, he's guarded 1 through 3 and is big for his position. You said the Blazers are in win-now mode, and he's super cheap. Yeah, so Michael Carter-Williams will be—he signed a minimum deal with Orlando. He wouldn't be high on my list, but if the Blazers get to the end of the— summer or towards the sort of the end of their process of filling out the roster and they have room for a point guard. I don't mind Michael Carter Williams on minimum deal. I don't think he's good. Um, I think the argument about him winning rookie of the year is just totally bizarre. The 2013 class was, was super shitty and um, him being better than Trey Burke is not exactly like him being better than Trey Burke seven years ago is not the reason I want the Blazers to add him to the roster now, but he was totally fine in Orlando. You're right that he was, uh, Bet he made up for being a bad shooter by being a smart player. I think he's kind of figured some of that stuff out. He wasn't very good in his time in Houston, but he was also a really bizarre fit with the Rockets. Um, he's improved a little bit as a shooter. I like him as a break-the-glass emergency point guard at a minimum. I have no problem. Even if I was mean to him and mean to your mean to your argument, Jesse, I guess I'm down with Carter Williams as, as a minimum ad. Wow, the tone of the tone of that question really changed in a hurry, Jesse. I bet you didn't see that coming. Thanks for the question. This next one comes from Ben's from Gmail, who asks, "If you were the GM of the Blazers, who would you hire as a new assistant coach for defense?" I think Gary Payton would be a great candidate. What about you? So yeah, Gary Payton says he wants to get into coaching. Um, obviously, he's got Northwest connections. Went to Oregon State. Played for. Terry Stotts and the Seattle Supersonics for um, a good portion of the early part of his career. My thing here is, are are players who were good on defense good defensive coaches? Is that a thing we know? Like, like Jason Kidd was a very good defensive player in in his career, his Hall of Fame career. But his defense with the Bucks was her- like the defensive scheme he ran with the Bucks was horrific. Didn't make any sense. They pressured the ball, gave up too many layups, too many three-pointers. So I don't, I don't, I think I don't follow the logic immediately that Gary, Gary Payton, the last guard to win defense, not last non-big to win defensive player of the year, um, is just like going to step into the league and be a good defensive coach. Certainly he'd be defensive minded and could help. And maybe he'll be a, maybe he'll be overall a valuable assistant. But for me, I just, I don't see like add Gary Payton fixes the Blazers problems. In fact, I don't even think it's, like, I think it's coaching. I think Terry Stotts is too strict with all the Blazers always playing drop coverage where the big man come, drops all the way back. They let too many guys walk into shots. Too many guys. They need to 
he needs to vary up his defensive schemes. But the Blazers' problem on defense for most of last season was that all of their players were shitty defensive players. There's only so much you can overcome that way. Stotts definitely deserves some blame for them being a bad defensive team, but I, there's a weird narrative on the internet that he he can't coach defense. And when the Blazers were really good when they had LaMarcus Aldridge and Wes Matthews and Robin Lopez, they were a top-five defensive team. Like, it's just, it's just a stupid-ass narrative. I think Terry is too stubborn with the way he defends and also has been given a bunch of bad defensive players. It, it, both things can be true. Okay, let's come out and cl- come back and close out the show with more of your questions. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. You're still listening to Locked On Blazers. We're still rolling through Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Logan at LoganB770 on Twitter who asks, do the Blazers priori- prioritize a 3 and D wing or bench scoring in the draft? Both. Isn't ideally the the player that they get is both of those things? The three being the scoring, the D being helpful de- defense, and the part where they're a rookie means they come off the bench. They get both. Both. You get a three and D wing who comes off the bench and helps. That's, that's number one. Second question from Logan is, should they try and sign a stretch big like Danilo Gallinari or Jeremy Grant or stay with Zach Collins and Mello? Both. They should do all of those things. They should sign Mello back to a cheap deal like for the biannual, so like two... a little more than the minimum to show their respect for Carmelo Anthony. They keep Zach Collins because he's under contract and where the hell would he go? And then they try to sign Danilo Gallinari and Jeremy Grant because those two players are really good and would help. You do it all. The answer to your questions, Logan, is yes, yes, yes. Do all of it. This next question comes from Victor So at GopherSo on Twitter who asks, would Harrison Barnes be a viable option to look at in the trade market? Would Ariza, Collins, and Hazonia be enough to make that even considerable? First of all, go Tar Heels. Second of all, I don't know if the Kings are doing that. Mario Hazonia is barely an NBA player. Trevor Reza, they just got rid of because he basically quit on them. Uh, and Zach, is, so it's basically like is Zach Collins for Harrison Barnes and the right to extend Zach Collins and you know pay him into the future. Is that what they want to do? I think they consider it because Harrison Barnes is owed $60 million in the remainder of his contract. His contract is really onerous and would cost the Blazers a great deal of money. So, I, I think, I, I'm not, I don't think Harrison Barnes is very good. Let me be clear. Like, I don't think he's a super good NBA player. I, I, I think he gets crapped on a lot because he was the worst player on the greatest regular season team of all time. He was the worst starter on the greatest regular season team of all time. So, Warriors fans are really mean to him. Didn't work out in Dallas. Um, Dallas got out from under him. As soon as they gave him that max money, he signed an extension with the Kings, um, and he wasn't very good last year. I I think he's just kind of a player that doesn't his his type of player just kind of doesn't exist in the league. They don't need a isolation power forward who who mostly gets twos and doesn't pass. Uh, for me, I listen. I like Harrison Barnes. Go Tar Heels, but I I'm not sure the Kings do this trade, and I'm not super excited about it. Although the chances that Harrison Barnes is a better NBA player than Zach Collins next year are fairly high. The chances that he's more valuable on his own than Ariza and Collins would be, I think is fairly low. Next question comes from Sir Wheezy at Wheezy Sir on Twitter who asks, who do you think ends up being a better NBA player, Zach or Ant? So Collins or Anthony Simons? This is a tough one. I'm, I'm, Sir Wheezy, you have me stumped on this one. I, ever since I saw this come across my Twitter feed, I have been 
debating it. And I, I think I'm going to go Zach Collins. And that's with some trepidation because uh, NBA players, Evan Turner specifically, has told me that he thinks Anthony Simons is not going to just be a good NBA player, but a star in the league. And usually guys who see young guys in practice, particularly Turner, who's been in the league a decade, they kind of know. They know, like, oh, th- like I've seen a bunch of dudes play. This dude is better than them. Or I've, I've seen a lot of guys go after it in practice. This guy does things that other people don't. So I, I tend to trust vets when they say that, NBA vets when they say that. That said, I think Simon's kind of a high-variance guy. I think if, I think there's a chance he's just not quite an NBA player, never develops. Um, the, the, the obvious tools he had just, like, never gets together, and he's just kind of like a okay NBA player. And for Zach, well, I think his ceiling is much lower. Like, I don't think... Like, Simons could pop and become a star because he's a really good athlete who can dribble and get his own shot, and that's, like, the thing stars do. Collins isn't that, but he seems to have a more clear path to being, like, a decent NBA player. So, with some trepidation, I'll pick Zach, but... I. The chances, if I'm wrong, I might be way wrong. Also, Zach Collins has never been healthy. Next question comes from Skozers from Gmail who asks, The last couple of years we've had a well-known, reliable backup to Nurk in Cantor and Hassan. Hassan Whiteside was basically never use of Nurkic's backup. And Ennis Cantor joined the team in February and was and was Nurk's backup for like a month. But let's we'll continue with the question. With Hassan likely leaving, is Zach the long-term answer as the backup five? It was clear that we played better with versatile wings, Mello and Ariza. Mello, not versatile, not a wing, but go on. At the four over Zach. Yeah, I don't. I think Zach Collins is a center. I've, I've said this a bunch of times at at this on this podcast. Zach's a center. Uh, the Blazers want him to play four, and I get why they do because the future of this version of the Blazers kind of depends on whether Zach and and Yusuf Nurkic can play next to each other. I mean, kind of, right? They won some games in the bubble when that worked, but I think they're better when they go smaller. Um, Zach's, Zach playing some four is fine, but I think he's better as a backup five. Um, I've said this on the podcast, too, that I think the Blazers would be better off adding um, a four who can also play three. I think four. I think that's kind of the position of need, but they're probably also going to need to add, add a backup center. Um I'm not sure that the Blazers have ever had a reliable backup behind Yusuf Nurkic. I think that's, I think you're misremembering how the seasons work. They did from whatever, February 3rd, February 15th to March 20th when Nurk got hurt. So yeah, there was a month um, and some of that was the all-star break when they did have a reliable backup for Nurk. And then also maybe in the bubble. So there, and then there were 10 other games. I'm now generously giving you over the last three seasons, the Blazers have had a reliable backup for Nurk 30 of the 140 games they've played. Okay, next question comes from Kenny Pruitt, at Kenny Pruitt on Twitter, who asks, Am I crazy to think swapping CJ and Paul George is a better fit for both players in both teams? Yes, you are. Wouldn't CJ be a borderline all-star as the Clippers' starting point guard? And isn't PG a clear number two who would benefit from having a definitive leader like Dame? Why wouldn't either team do this? The Clippers would be getting a way worse player. CJ's not... Um, CJ's good. But he's a, certainly a tier below Paul George. Um, he's not really a point guard. Um, I don't understand why adding him to a team where he's still second fiddle makes him an all-star. Maybe he'd have the ball in his hands more, but would he really more than he does now? He gets the ball a lot. He just doesn't pass it that often. He's not an assist guy. He's an elite scorer in the NBA. He's, he's really good at what he does, but he's almost played 10 years in the league. He's played eight, seven seasons in the league. Like, 
he is who he is. He's a guy who can really score and on occasion puts up assist numbers, but he's not a natural passer. And I don't understand why adding him to the Clippers playing alongside that team would make him into an all-star. That, to me, doesn't, doesn't totally track. And the Clippers' whole identity is built on these two six-foot-eight wings who can defend and switch. Why would they get... Why would they... Why would they get rid of that identity? Um, Paul George definitely could benefit. He's number two. I mean, he's been a number two for since he left Indiana, right? He was a sidekick to Russell Westbrook. He's a sidekick to um, Kawhi Leonard. He just is. He's a. He's the maybe the best number two in the league, but he's a number two. Um, he would probably benefit from a definitive leader like Dame, like someone to kind of pick him up a little bit. But um, he also kind of seems like someone who maybe doesn't totally get it. Um, he has a. He's. He's like one of the 20 best players in the league, but one of his elite skills is saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. I'm not sure that even Damian Lillard could prevent him from doing that. So yeah, um, the Blazers would should do that in a heartbeat, but the, the Clippers would not do that because it would make them worse and they'd be giving up a good a better player who's also their team identity. It just it doesn't there's no there's literally no sell for that on Kenny. Next question comes from Jared Tarnaski at Tarnaski J on Twitter, who asks, Who is the Blazers' all time team of players who were on the roster but never played a single game for the team? Palgasol and Festus Azili come to mind. Festus Azili is not going to make this roster. Also, I couldn't find a point guard to play this roster uh, or really anyone who wasn't a small forward and above, so we're just going to go with five wonderful players. Playing one of the guard spots, Mike Miller, who was traded to the Blazers in a couple second round picks, along with Brandon Haywood in July of 2015 to save Cleveland uh, Cavaliers a whole bunch of uh, luxury tax money. Mike Miller never reported, was on the roster for a few months, never showed up, didn't come to training camp, all-time great. Second one is Brandon Rush, who was actually on the Blazers twice. They drafted him initially and then traded him for the rights to Jared Bayless, and then they signed him to a 10-day contract in February of 2018, and he never saw the floor. Brandon Rush, a two-time, the only two-time player on this list at small forward, but really just we're just having big players on the roster. Andrew Nicholson and a Blazers absolute legend traded from the Nets to the Blazers for Alan Crabb in 2017 and then waived his salary was stretched and then waived stretched across multiple seasons. And Nicholson is still on the books for the Blazers until the end of the 2023, 2024 season, an absolute legend at the bank. Get that money. Andrew starting a power forward, Pau Gasol, you know, the legend 37 year old coming off foot surgery signed with the Blazers in July. Uh, Neil Olshay kept talking about how he was going to be ready for training camp and looked really good. And Pau Gasol kept saying, we'll see, we'll see. And then Pau Gasol was eventually waived in November without ever playing a game for the Blazers. And the greatest player to ever be on the Blazers roster and then not was Moses Malone, who the Blazers acquired in the ABA dispersal draft in 1976 and then traded him before the season started the very same year that they won the their one and only NBA title. Moses Malone, a Hall of Famer. Pau Gasol will be a Hall of Famer. All the other guys, Hall of Famers for the Blazers for never playing a game for him. Jared, I enjoyed doing this exercise. Thanks for the question. Last question of the show comes from Tom in Texas at K on Twitter. I'm, I'm screwing that up, Tom. I don't, I don't know the... I'm doing my best with a Twitter account, but Tom asks, suppose LeBron fell in love with Damian Lillard and came to Portland in 2018. How do the last two years look? Well, I think the Blazers very likely play for and maybe win the NBA title. 
during t- in 2019. I think Dame and healthy LeBron and CJ make it happen. Win beat beat the uh, bedraggled Warriors who are a little bit injured in the uh, in the playoffs. Didn't have Kevin Durant, so um, LeBron gets you know better teammates and finally takes down the Warriors, and then they beat the Raptors in the finals. Your 2019. Uh, champions in 2020 they run it back um and hell they win it again they're two-time champs now here in portland with with lebron james and damian lillard that looks really good but the most important thing here is that it's love between two men it would be the most important story in all of north american professional sports and look maybe you didn't mean romantic love but that's the direction we're going here if lebron james came to Join an NBA team because of his love for another NBA superstar would be the most significant develop development in the history of the National Basketball Association. One of the most significant develops in the, developments in the history of all of North American team sports. Two openly gay men sharing their love together and winning championships. If an absolute superstar comes out of the closet, it's going to open up so many doors for the people in the league. Just the way humans work. There are tons of gay and queer men playing NBA basketball. None of them out. There just aren't out athletes in big team in big male team sports now. It's not how it works. It's unfortunate. And if in 2018 LeBron had declared his love and joined his love Damian Lillard in Portland, it would be a wonderful day for the liberation of people living their truth. And something I'd still be celebrating to this day with a big old rainbow LeBron flag. Thank you, LeBron. Everyone deserves to openly and loudly love who they love. NBA, the NBA and all of men's professional sports could use an injection of allowing people to openly love who they love. And it's probably going to take someone like LeBron James to say, hey, guess what? I'm gay and that's just a normal part of my life. I'm also the best basketball player in the world. That's a normal part of my life too. I'll give you buckets and I'll go home and love who I want. So if LeBron James came here because of love in 2018, it would be the greatest thing to happen to the city because there would be multiple championship parades and it would be a ch- and LeBron would be a champion for rights and for hope and for people being themselves in public. We all deserve that option. We all deserve to be who we are openly and proudly so yeah i wish lebron had come here and declared his love for dame that would be just an absolutely wonderful story that's right i'm hijacking all these questions i'm ending mailbag monday always by hijacking your questions so be careful what you ask because this is my show and my microphone thanks to everyone who was involved this week you're involved if you listen you're involved if you submit a question either way i sincerely appreciate it Tell your friends about this podcast. They can get it wherever they already listen to podcasts. Just search Locked on Blazers. It'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.